Um, yes, we are doing things a little bit differently today because today is moving up for the children, which is really, really important. So if you look around, it's awfully crowded in here right now. See that? I want you to pay attention. There'll be more about that later, but right now it seems a little bit tight, and there's a reason for that. Um, so to get things started, what we're going to do today is before the children actually have their ceremony, what we're going to do is we're going to have two teachers come up, and just I'm going to ask them a couple questions um, so they can learn more about them and why they've decided to teach in the children's ministry. All right, now I'm going to turn it over to Stacy. All right, good morning, guys. Thank you, and welcome to this amazing celebration of the kids at New Life Fellowship. And kids, you guys are awesome. You have sat still and quiet for a really long time. Really great. But you know what's cool is that the kids don't have to sit still and quiet all service every Sunday because we have an amazing children's ministry that they can go and learn and read and glean from people like you that are teaching them the wisdom of Christ. So I'm just very thankful for the children's ministry. I'm speaking on behalf of the core leadership team. Um, Lorian Albertson, Tammy Reyna, Linda Thomas, and myself are all part of that team. So we're all here and part of it. I'm just speaking on behalf of us today. So I want to welcome you. Um, I'm going to open with a verse. It's from 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. And it says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now this was Paul speaking to Timothy, but it's kind of amazing because it speaks to me because we have the privilege as New Life Fellowship and the blessing to teach the children the Holy Scriptures and the opportunity to provide them with that wisdom for salvation through Christ Jesus. And these kids will know and remember you, whom they have learned it from. So it's kind of my challenge to you today. Now before you get to get into that, though, I just want to tell you some of the cool things that are happening in our children's ministry. This past year, we added a middle school program, which is very exciting. So now our middle schoolers, every other week, have an opportunity to sit in and have middle school relevant lessons given to them. We start that off with some of the core values that we have as an Alliance Church, and as well as some salvation values, things like baptism, what a pastor is, just things that middle schoolers kind of question as they turn into that independent relationship with Christ. Um, So that'll be going again this year. We have a lot of new middle schoolers that are going to join into that class, and it happens every other week. Next week will be another class. So join them if you're in middle school. Um, Also, one of our primary global missions, our outreach missions, is Operation Christmas Child. So we do a lot with this. We have a big, exciting packing party that's going to be going on this year, starting on November the 8th, right after church. And um, we've already collected some of the supplies, but if you want to bring in more, we need some school supplies for those kids. So you can just drop them off out at the children's ministry desk. So go ahead and bring in your school supplies that we can save to put in those boxes on November 8th. Um, Also locally, we reach out through doing cookies and caroling at the Home of the Good Shepherd. This is an opportunity for our kids to kind of go and visit some of the local residents that don't get to come into our church that are there at the Home of the Good Shepherd and sing to them and bless them with Christ's love. So that's locally what we'll be doing. And then the way that Children's Ministry reaches out here within our body is Parents Night Out. We're going to be doing that again this year, so keep looking for flyers for that. So we'll be doing that. So there's always things going on and happening. We want to let you know as a body, but also if you ever have any questions, come ask any one of us back there at the desk. So as I was putting together this list of kids, it's just amazing how many children we have, what a large part of our body is in that children's ministry. 
And I love that I'm serving with you guys in raising them up in the way they should go, just like we had referred to. God, I just thank you today that you have blessed us with these children in our midst. And I want to remember the promise from the book of Isaiah. I want to pray that you will strengthen these children and help them, that you will uphold them with your righteous right hand and give us the willingness to teach them and guide them to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone, for your patience. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Ed Kowaleski. I'm one of the pastoral elders here at New Life Fellowship. Um, I'm married, um, and my wife is Mary Jo. You probably know her as the handcraft lady. She's been up here every once in a while. Um, And we have three children. Um, I've been coming to New Life Fellowship since 1998. Uh, Prior to New Life Fellowship, we did attend... um, Pine Knolls Alliance. We had moved up from Dalmar. We moved to Saratoga. We definitely wanted to settle in Saratoga. And at that point in time, we went church shopping. And what we did is we went up to Pine Knolls. And we loved it up there. And it was great. We had a teenager, well, just under a teenager at the time. And they had a lot of youth programs. And it worked good. Well, then in 1997, Ross came along. And that changed everything. Trying to get an 11-year-old up and a baby and get packed up and drive a half an hour to Glens Falls didn't work. Fortunately for us, we, and we knew at that point in time that New Life Fellowship had started up, so we started coming to New Life Fellowship. The other reason behind why us wanting to come to New Life Fellowship was is because we lived in Saratoga, and we wanted to go to a church that was in Saratoga. It was a great church up in Glens Falls, but it's kind of hard to participate in the community when it's you know, 20 miles up the north way. Um, so we came to Saratoga, and we've been here ever since. I've been a pastoral elder for about eight years. Um, I love it. It's very rewarding, and um, that's why I'm here today. So I'm here just to uh, share my heart uh, about the children, and that's where we are today. So let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning, and we offer the rest of the service up to you. I thank you for the words that you've given me, that the time I've spent with you this week in preparation... I just ask that you bless my words, that you would give me the words that I'm to speak this morning, that you would be with the congregation, that you would quiet their hearts, open their ears, and that they would hear what you want them to hear. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. If anybody wants a Bible, please slip up your hand and one of the ushers will bring you one. It's not going to be a Bible-intensive day. We're going to be zipping through a lot of scriptures, so my recommendation is if you have a pen and paper, you may just want to jot them down because you're never going to be able to keep up with me. If you need the scripture references afterwards, you can get in touch with me, and I'll let you know what they were. All right. Everybody ready here? Here we go. I'm just really excited to be here today. Uh, I love children. If you give, gave me the option of getting together with a bunch of kids who are less than 12 and a bunch of adults, I'll take the kids every day of the week. Uh, other than you, Rick, I'll make an exception. It, it's, I mean, for those of you who spent time with children, you have to admit that when you talk to, say, a 7- and 8-year-old, even a 9-year-old, they typically say what's on their mind. They're transparent. They're open. Um, they're moldable. They, they, they hang on every word. For years, 11 or 12 years, I was a ski instructor up at Gore, and I taught kids. 
given the option of adults or children, it was just natural for me to teach kids because I related with them. And you can take a bunch of five and six-year-olds, and here's a guy my height with a full beard, and you're riding on the lift or in a group with them, and you say, how old are you? And they say, I'm four. How old are you? I'm five. How old do you think I am? Well, we don't know. I'm seven. And they look at you. And they don't really question it. You know, the, the wheels are turning, but you can get them to believe that you're seven years old. You know, I'm just big for my age. So, so they're, they're very Im- they're impressionable, um, and, which is a good thing, which is a really good thing. So what I'm speaking about today, a lot of what I'm coming from, uh, the basis of that is a book that I read probably about eight, nine years ago, which is Transforming Children into Spiritual, spiritual Champions, Why Children Should Be... Your Church's Number One Priority by George Barna. For those of you who don't, this is what the book looks like. If anybody wants to borrow it, you can. Um, Barna is a guy, he's got an institute, he's been doing this for over 25 years, and basically what he does is he does research. And then based on his research, then he writes. So what he did is he took a period of two years, did research on churches, children, ministry, and he wrote this book. So a lot of the statistics and a lot of what you're going to hear today comes from him because I really believe it's a, a valuable resource. So I think Susan mentioned this, and I believe also um, the Heberts mentioned this. Um, we participated in the moving up ceremony today, and you're asking, you know, why do we do that? And I've been here before. You're sitting there. You have all the kids come up, and you parade. And other years, what we would do is we would just have our regular service, and then in between the faith stories and the message, the children would come up. And I think everybody sometimes gets bothered. It's, you know, why do we do it? That's why we, today we decided we were going to make this all about the children because of the importance that they are. What you have to remember is the people here, um, the children, the children are there. You've got parents, and they have children. But those families come to New Life Fellowship, and New Life Fellowship is their church family. So when they come here and it's their church family, they then become our children. And we have to treat them that way. So let's take a look at what the Bible says about children and their roles, um, and our role in their lives. There you go. Are you ready? Okay, we're going to start with Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend their op- with their opponents in court. Genesis 33, 5. When he saw, looked up and saw the women and children... Who are these with you, he said. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given you, given your servant. And we look at Psalm 113, verses 1 and 9. Praise the Lord. He settles the childless woman in her home as a happy mother of children. Praise the Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. I know you've heard this before, but we'll get back to that later. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Proverbs 22.6 Start children off in the way that they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. We have Exodus 20, verses 5 and 6. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. 
punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Psalm 103, verses 17 and 18. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. Mark 9, 36 through 37. He took a little child whom he placed among them. Taking the child in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And then 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 15. But as for you, continue of what you've learned and have become convicted of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So to summarize all those scriptures, there's seven points that I take away from that. Children are a blessing from God to their parents, plus to this congregation. We are to learn and know God's commands. They're commanding us to learn and know God's commands, and they are to be on our hearts. And then the second part of the equation is we need to impress them on our children. And then we need to start this impression process at an early age, starting from infancy. If we teach our children the way, they will not turn from it when they are old. God will show love to them and to a thousand generations of those who love God and keep his commands. And lastly, whoever welcomes a child in Jesus' name welcomes God the Father. This is the key to everlasting life and eternal happiness for our children, that they learn and they know God's commands. Some of you may be thinking that, uh, that this statement is over the top, so let me explain where I'm coming from. Oh, probably about three months ago, our district superintendent, Dave Lynn, came. And for those of you who are here, remember that he spoke about um, horrible tragedies that were going on. There were shootings. Um, people just in protest, um, the, the, the aftermath of the shootings, um, people who were confused about what gender they were. Um, and basically what he concluded was is that all this is happening because people have a hole in their lives and they don't know how to fill it. They're, wan- they're wandering around. They don't know who they are. They don't know what their mission in life is. Well, there's studies that show that uh, almost half of adults say that they are still seeking meaning and purpose in their lives. If you ask teenagers, two out of three are still seeking that sense of direction. So you've got teenagers, you have adults. Adults, they could be 18, they could be 60, and they're all wandering around going, what am I doing here? What is my purpose? Well, it boils down to the question of where and how do people gain meaning and purpose in their lives? And that can come from one of two places. The first, you ask, is it from one's occupation, their educational achievement, their marital status, financial security, personal achievement, or leisure and recreational pursuits? Or does that meaning and purpose come from it is gained by developing spiritual understanding, by knowing God so intimately that you can discern his calling upon your life. Well, I say that it should be the, the latter. 
that we gain, but it's gained by developing spiritual understanding, by knowing God so intimately that you can discern his calling upon your life. And why should it be this way? Well, I think the answer to that is, is because, and I've been there before, and I'm sure many of you have been there before, is when we try to do something that God does not ordain or did not make us do, basically you can count on a life of frustration, dissatisfaction, and failure. I've been through that many times, wondering whether I'm supposed to be a ski instructor full-time, whether I'm supposed to be a lawyer. Um, So you go down these rabbit holes, you chase this, trying to figure out, this is going to make me happy, this is going to be it, it's going to make me happy. But it keeps coming back to that, no, none of that is ever going to make you happy. But when you listen to the voice of God to discern what he has called you to do, then he bestows blessings upon you that enables you to succeed in those ventures that God himself has created for you. So there's two paths that we can go down. And what we have to remember is that our lives are not our own. We live for the purpose of doing God's will, to bless him and other people. We are called to the same mission and life purpose. If you look at John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So that phrase, as I have loved you, anybody know what he's referring to? Come on, this is a softball. How about John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we have the ability to love only because God loved us first. And if you remember the verse, Matthew um, chapter 5, 14 through 16, the importance of love is you are light in the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So God commands us to love. Love one another. Love one another in a way that we're not capable of, but a love that can only come from God. And if we indeed do this, then people recognize that as something different. They come to you. They ask you questions. Maybe they'll be able to fill that hole in their lives, and you can lead them to Christ. That's what it's all about. It's all about loving people and bringing glory to God. So we're here today. Children, you're saying, well, where is he going with this? Well, I asked you to take note before the number of children that were in here. And you noticed that there were a lot of children in here. Well, I basically took the attendance sheets since January, and I totaled them up. And then I compared that number to the number that are adults here on a regular basis. And when you do the counts... Children comprise over 27% of the people who come here on a week-to-week basis. That's one in four people who are here on Sunday is a child. Now, if you compare that number to the population of the United States, the, that age group, 12 and under, makes up only 15% of the population. So we're way ahead of the curve here at New Life Fellowship. So then the question becomes, well, why is that important? So we have a lot of kids. You know, mom and dad should do a great job. Why does it matter to us? Well, it does matter to us because I have a question to you. 
is there, a relationship, is there a relationship between the age of a person and the age at which a person embraces Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? Is there a relationship between those two? Good answer. Well, and what is that relationship? Well, the relationship is the probability of surrendering. I'm going to give you three age groups and three percentages, and let's see if we can match these up. The age groups are 5 through 12, 13 through 18, and 19 and older. And the percentages you have to work with are 4, 6, and 32. So for the age group 13 to 18, which percentage do you think applies to them? Six? Anybody else? Four? All right. How about 19 and older? Six? All right. What about five through 12? 32%. Yes. The statistics are five through 12, 32%. Ages 13 through 18, only 4%. Once you hit 19, 6%. Based on these statistics, if one does not surrender their life to Christ by the age of 13, the chance of it happening is slim. All right, and the other part of it, which ties in today, is that statistics show that research shows that all facets of moral and spiritual development, whether related to worldview, beliefs, or behavior, shows that such development starts as early as age two. So you're starting at two. The process then quick, progresses rather quickly. By age nine, by age nine, moral foundations of children are generally determined and most children have their spiritual moorings in place. Let me say that again. By age nine, moral foundations of children are generally determined and most children have their spiritual moorings in place. Think about that. By nine. Actually, I had, uh, went out the other night with a friend of mine, and we were, we were talking about this, and a question came up. He goes, you know, do you drink Coke or Pepsi? And I says, I drink Coke. And he goes, what you drink as a kid? I drank Coke. And let me ask you, if you drink Coke or Pepsi, do you still drink the same thing you drank as a kid? Chances are you do. That's how hard it starts. And the reason why this is important is because, I mean, we're here. You've got the parents doing what the parents do. We're here to stand by them and help. But the odds are stacked against us. I mean, you've got mass media. You've got television. You've got things that they learn in school. The odds are really stacked against them such that if we don't get to them early, it's not going to happen. So based on you know, the moral foundations, the other part of it, too, that you have to take into account is that attitudes about the viability and value of church, partition, church participation form early in life. And habits related to the practice of one's faith develop when one is young and change surprisingly little over time. So if you add this all up, I think the only logical conclusion is, is that the spiritual nourishing has to take place early in their lives, very early in their lives. And you may say, well, maybe yes, maybe no. Well, it all depends on what is important to you. If, if your life focus is security, retirement, comfort, health, 
enjoyment, recreation, or pleasure, those which are worldly items, or are you focused on lives transformed to love God more deeply and to, be, to obey him more perfectly? If it's the latter, then I say that in, intentional and strategic spiritual nurturing of children during the early child and adolescent years is demanded. I can attest to this. Um, I was a con- well. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, at the age of, I think what it was, seven, I wanted to be an altar boy. I had a calling. Um, I saw the altar boys up on the altar, and I wanted to do that. So at the age of seven, I was in second grade. I became an altar boy. I went to the priest, and he didn't know what to do with it because I was very young. Most kids started later. So I did this from the time I was in second grade until I graduated for 10 years. Not only did I serve on Sundays, but the way it worked in my parish was is that once a month or once every other month, you got to serve morning masses. Every morning there was mass at 7.15. So I actually had to, and we had seven kids in my family. Um, five initially and then seven later. So when I first started this, my mom could not take me up every morning because the church was in the next town over, a mile away. She couldn't drive me. So I actually stayed with an aunt of mine who dropped me on her way to work. I would go serve mass, and then I would walk to school. And I started that, and I did that for 10 years. So I did that for many, many years, but my conversion did not take place until I was in my 30s. And I can tell you that from experience... It's much more difficult. If you've grown up for 30 years where your focus and attention is on worldly items, getting the right job, driving the right car, planning for retirement, getting married, having kids, and if this is your focus, and then all of a sudden there's this shift, you bring all that baggage with you. And it's a continual struggle to chip away at the past because that's the way that you're wired. So to change what your focus is and your purpose is, it's not impossible, but it's way easier if you don't come into the relationship with that baggage. So the real question becomes is why is that important? Because the children, the children that were in here before are our future. You know, irrespective of what their occupation may be, how they make decisions is going to affect what the world will become. If we have children who approach things from a world view, then they're going to seek to accomplish a worldview agenda. However, if it's a kingdom view, then that's what they're going to be focused on. And it doesn't really matter whether or not what their occupation is going to be. If it's going to be in ministry or whether it's going to be secular, the end result is going to be, this, is going to be the same because it's how do they, what do they take into consideration? What is their moral compass? What is right and what is wrong? You know, wouldn't it be a better place if people approached it with the kingdom view? I would think to say that, yes, we should have more people that approach things from a kingdom view. And the other part about it is, how about if the, the, if the people vested with the power to make decisions which affect our daily lives were kingdom-focused rather than worldview-focused? And remember what Dave Lynn spoke about. The, just the, I mean, how many people are happy with government? Happy with the way that the economy's going? Wouldn't it be better if the people who was in a position to affect those decisions had a kingdom view rather than a worldview? We must invest in our children at, the, at an early age. Invest in the future. 
theirs and ours. You know, those children who are exposed and embrace godly lives will enjoy the lifelong benefit of God's blessings. Without that, they're going to be floundering around. And if we invest in them, we get the results of them being in the world and making the world a better place for us to be in. So why am I speaking to everyone here at New Life and not only to the parents? Um, Because I believe, firmly believe, that the primary responsibility for spiritual nurturing lies with the children's parents. But as I said before, the parents and children who come here to New Life Fellowship call this home. We are their church family. And as their church family, we have an obligation. Anybody here ever been present at a baby dedication at New Life Fellowship? You've been here? Put your hands up. You've been here. All right, good. All right. There's a part that goes like this. Parents, will you take your child faithfully and regularly to a church family and do everything in your power to bring him to the knowledge of Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? And the parents say, we will. But then there's another line. It goes, church. That's you. Church. Each one of you. As far as it depends on you, and as much as you can, do you promise to support this child's parents in their mission to raise their child up in the faith that he may come to know a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ from a young age? And we all say, we do. So here we are, in public, before God. So we're taking an an oath. We're making a vow. And if you look at Matthew 5... 33, it speaks to both oaths and vows, and it provides, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. We have many, many children here at New Life Fellowship, and it's a blessing, but it's also a huge obligation, and we have to be committed to their spiritual development for their sake, for our sake for that of the church and the world at large. So the challenge to you today, you've heard Jerome and Eva, you've heard Susan, you've heard Stacy, is go away, get quiet, pray. And the question to each of you, the challenge is, is that what are you going to do to support the parents and or the children? There's many, many opportunities. Not everyone needs to be a teacher, but that would be great. There's VBS. You listen to what Stacy said, the list of the things that the kids are involved in. Maybe you want to participate in those events. Maybe you want to participate in a ministry where the children are there. It gives you an opportunity. You don't have to be a teacher full-time, but if you know there's kids going to be there. We did the backstretch this year, and it was phenomenal. The youth group came out on the first night, and they so much loved it that they wanted to do it every Monday night. And even though the youth group didn't come out every week after that, the kids were there. And it was so good to be there. I had a relationship. I had a relationship with some of them because one week there wasn't a teacher in the class, so I jumped in and I taught the class. Well, next Monday, here they are at the backstretch. Made a relationship. I mean, that's what it's about. It's a function. It's not only just teaching them principles, but living out the Christian life being an example to them, showing them what it is to lead a godly life and to show them that it's not a hardship, that there's much joy in it. So there's a lot that you can think about. 
Are you going to teach a class on parenting? And many of you are older. Your kids are grown and you now have grandkids. You've got a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of young families, like when I first got married and we had our first child, I was clueless. I had no idea what I was doing. Wouldn't it be great to come alongside a parent or to parents and just say, hey, this is what I've learned. Maybe I can help you out here. So what I'm asking that you do is that you think, you pray, and then act. Get involved. The future is at stake. Let us pray. Father, we come to you this morning. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for this church that we call New Life Fellowship. Thank you for the people that are here and call this home, that it is their church family. We thank you for the blessing of the children that you have given the parents and that you have given to us, Father. And my prayer, Father, is is that we would accept the obligation that comes with this, Father, and that we would react to it, that we would seek first to strengthen our relationship with you, know your commandments, but then we would go one step further, Father, and that we would impart that to the children. The future is at stake. If we can get them to understand what it is to love and serve you and be part of a vibrant church family at a young age, Father, they will be blessed, we will be blessed. Glory will be got to you, Father, and that's what we desire. So I just thank you for the opportunity to speak here today. I pray for the children. I pray for everyone who calls New Life Fellowship, New Life Fellowship home. And all these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for your time and patience today. I really appreciate you being here. Um, love you guys. You were dispersed. Go and be the church.